What's up, everybody? My name is Adam, and I'm the host of the You Know Adam Same podcast, the show that is dedicated on bringing on passionate people, learning about their stories, and delivering value to entrepreneurs. So if that's what you're interested in, go ahead and follow, like, and subscribe. You know what I'm saying? How's it going, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the You Know Adam Same podcast, where you get to know just a little bit more about people, passions, and all things business. Today, sitting across the way, I have the entrepreneur himself, Mr. Daniel Dabbs. Welcome to the show. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's it's an absolute pleasure having you here. Um, I've heard your name for quite some time around the (laughs) Statesboro area, and uh, I'm so excited to hear about your journey. We touched on a few things earlier, Mm -hmm. uh, but tell me a little bit about, you know, the different projects that you have worked on. Uh, well, shortly after I moved to Statesboro here in 2007, I had started um, Varsity Inc., which a lot of people probably remember if they're if they're from the area. Which was just a, you know really my first venture out of college. Okay. Um, and Varsity I, I, Inc. is like Vers- a- Varsity Inc. was a screen print company that I started and is, was actually located right here on the on the what's I guess effectively known now as the Blue Mile. It okay. didn't exist back then, but uh, yeah, it's just our it was. Uh, I, I realized pretty quickly out of college that. I probably wasn't going to make it in, in a typical corporate uh-huh. platform. So, okay. um, you know, had a few things happen there that that were pretty eye opening for me, and I was like, "Yeah, this this is not probably my style." So, okay. so in two thousand eight, opened uh, yeah, opened Varsity Inc. and and did that for a, many many years. I think nine or ten years, and um, you know that that was a pretty good starter career starter business. I would mm-hmm. say a little incubator, if you will. That. Um, we did, you know, I think we peaked out at probably, you know, half a million dollar in sales annually or whatever. That's a lot of t-shirts, by the way. To sure, print. that's a ton. Um, it, you know, and, and we were, you know, proud to have, have been able to do what we were able to do there. But it just kind of, it kind of flatlined in terms of, you know, growth. You I, I, felt I, like you hit like maybe like a ceiling there or? Yeah, well, you know, to be honest, like at that time, what I didn't know was the power of you know, online sales and the internet or, or how to utilize that, right? Like it's, we all use it every day, but it's really hard, I think, for people to understand how to tap into that and generate and monetize it and, and right. turn into sales. So, um, so I, I think because of the types of employees we were hiring, they were mo- mainly, um, you know, kind of minimum wage, mm. uh, you know, just hourly. Sure. And uh, because that's all I was hiring, we were cycling through those pretty often. They weren't they wouldn't stick around long. You know, we, I'd have to go pick them up. They yeah. didn't have their own transportation. I mean, you, you're an entrepreneur yourself. You're probably familiar, right? Sure. So, Restaurant um, industry. <laughs> yeah, right. Like your your I turnover rate is probably super high. That's and, right. and, and, it's and, something and, that we challenge. And yeah. mine was too. Uh, so kind of in the aftermath of all that, and of course we're talking about it now years later, but you kind of you look back and you're like, what did I do wrong? What did I do right? And I found a guy uh, to work for me. And kind of do the, the work in the back, uh, and I just I, I just paid him more. Like he wasn't he he didn't really need a job. Um, he just wanted something to do. Was he older? He was guy? pretty well off. Yeah, he was an older guy or whatever. But I paid him what it, what he was worth as yeah. opposed to what I wanted to pay him. Yeah, which is two different things, by the way. Right. Sure. And um, he was passionate about his his job, and he was uh, I was very fortunate enough to find him. But because I was able to kind of let go of the reins. Uh, from kind of what was going on in the back, it freed up just enough space for me to do something else. Sure. You know, and that's when 
the idea for BattleBox was really born. It's like I just wow. I freed up just a little bit of, of, of my own time by paying somebody more money to kind of. Does that make sense? Uh, at all? Absolutely. Like, so, absolutely. Um, so I, I want to touch on that. Yeah. Was there something that he did that encouraged you to say, "Hey, I want to invest in him"? Because like, I mean, I look at it like in as an investment, where like, right, hey, like yeah. this person is going to be somebody that's going to um, be productive for the organization. You can just tell, usually when you hire somebody, mm -hmm. I think you know probably within the first, I would venture to say usually a couple minutes, but definitely by the end of that first day, you can you can tell what type of drive that person has. And, mm -hmm. and you probably know, even if you won't admit it, like deep down, whether or not that's going to be a long-term employee or not. And so what are you looking for? Because well, like, you, you know, like as you can see, like just main thing is drive. You know, uh, intelligence is a huge, you know, it's like kind of hard to come rare. by. Yeah, well, like in common sense, is, it is. It's super rare. Every, everybody talks about it. But mm -hmm. it's like you can be super smart and still just not be able to, you know, do daily tasks in a, in a workplace. Right. And yeah. um, so just having and, and that's different for every business. Right. Sure. So, I mean, it's really kind of hard to, you know, talk about something globally. Mm -hmm. uh because every business is different. You're, That's right. you're looking for something much different in the restaurant industry than I'm looking for. But drive is is sort of universal, That's <laughs> right? right? And so, um, you know, just some people just don't work out, and that's sure. okay. They're just in the wrong spot. I think they're looking for they're looking for income, and you're looking for somebody that you know essentially treats your business the way you do. And, that's right. Uh, and that's really hard to find if they don't have a vested interest. So how do you how do you get them vested? Well, you know, you you can make you can give them promotions and raises and stuff like that. But, man, to find somebody, that's why I say he was pretty rare. Like, to find somebody that, you know, I mean, he was still hourly, don't get me wrong, but I was just paying him more than what I what I was accustomed to sure. for the first time. Sure. And I found that, for me, it worked out really well because what I wasn't having to do anymore was stop, rehire somebody, retrain somebody, and go through that cyclical hmm. thing that was really just um, – it, it sucks a lot of your own time away when you That's have to right. do that, if you really think about it. So mm -hmm. the more you're turning over, the more, you know, you're not able to produce or do what it is that you're good at in terms of running the company, right? There's a huge kind of like a belief that I have uh, that I tell a lot of entrepreneurs and discuss that kind of like, you know, sums everything together. Uh, and it's this concept that, you know, if we're rating ourselves out of 10, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when we're working in our own businesses, we, we put in you know, 10 out of 10, 11 out of 10. We're, we're, we're there. We're putting everything in. You should be anyway. That's right. That's <laughs> right. what we try. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it was, it's fascinating. The, the, the saying goes like this is the company starts to grow or you start to grow when you realize is that somebody's seven out of 10 mm -hmm. is better for you than your 11 out of 10 in that position, right? Right. Yeah. And, and not not to say that we want to like decrease quality because I don't think that that's the case, but I don't. it's so unfair to expect somebody else to be as passionate about your business right. as you exactly. are. Yeah, right, right, yeah. You, it, it's hard because you you do kind of expect it, but it's it's really not realistic, right? Exactly. Unless you give them some sort of vested interest, and we can talk about the importance of that kind of stuff too. You know, sure. But um, you know, the idea of entrepreneurship is glamorous to pretty much everybody. Like mm -hmm. everybody wants to be uh, in that role because I think they see 
uh, you know, a lot of these people I call like the must be nicers, right? Yeah. You pull up in a nice vehicle sure. and they're, you know, man, that must be nice. You know, yeah. Well, it doesn't come without hard work or whatever. And so what I've noticed with especially a lot of younger entrepreneurs is it's really kind of a shock to them that they actually have to work. <laughs> you know, I think that they feel like they're going to uh, be able to walk in the door and finger point yeah. and tell people what to do yeah. because they had this rare opportunity to become an entrepreneur. It's, it's just not all that rare anymore. Mm. The internet, you know, for many reasons, um, has become sort of like the great equalizer, I mm-hmm. think. Like, uh, it doesn't care what color you are. It doesn't That's right. care how many dollar sign, you know, zeros in your bank account or whatever. Like, you can be as successful as you want to be That's with right. uh, the internet, which is one of the great things about it. That's right. Know? And so... Um, I, th- I think also because of uh, podcasts and, yeah. and YouTube and social media, it's also given uh, a lot of young individuals a false sense of, you know, if you ask people today or young kids today, you know, what they want to be, they're like, I want to be a, I want to be a, yeah, I want to yeah. be a YouTube influencer, I'll be a YouTube star. <laughs> like, great. Yeah. What are you good at? Yeah. What are you going to talk about? They don't know. They don't have an answer. So, yeah. like, what is your skill set? Well, I don't have any. Okay. <laughs> so, what are you going to, that, yeah. that's, I don't. I think they're just they're driven by monetary motivation, yeah. And that's kind of like what comes second to your passion, right? That's right. But everybody's putting it first. That's right. And you know, it takes uh, it takes growing up to realize that like not everything's about dollar signs, right? So, absolutely, absolutely. So back to the story, you you've kind of like freed up some time uh, at Varsity Inc. because you you know have pulled on some somebody to your team that's able to kind of like give you a little bit of space. Yeah, that was the first of, of, of many, many uh, ventures, both, okay. both good and bad. You okay. know, some, some, were good, some were, you know, good, like Varsity Inc. Was, was pretty good for us. And then we had some other, uh, you know, sort of uh, what, what failures. Made, what made you want to do something new? So like, you know, what, what kind of like, you know, you're, you're running this business, you're growing this business, yeah. and all of a sudden there's something that, you know, hey, like, there's this idea that you have, or how does that start? Uh, originally, uh, you know, kind of going back to what I was just saying, it was probably, you know, driven by monetary, mm. you know, things, you know, like, man, I'm just not, like, this is great, um, you know, kind of getting along just fine in terms of being able to pay the bills, but still kind of living, like, paycheck to paycheck, I would sure. say, which most people are, and just um, really wanted something more, and so... I don't think that I was, you know, I mean, I guess I kind of always had my my eyes out looking for, you know, an opportunity. But, um, you know, the the crazy thing about Statesboro and Bullock County is it's it's very small business driven. It's small mm-hmm. business and, and farmers are what has driven this, this county and community for hundreds of years. That's right. right. So um, it's not a big opportunity zone when it, com- mm-hmm. when it comes to, like, what are you going to do in Statesboro? You've got to have a restaurant. That's right. Or, you know, or a a successful boutique or, you know, I mean, the largest two companies in town, I believe, are Walmart and H.A. Sack, Uh right? So, like, unless you work for one of those places, what are you going to do? That's right. You know, so so you kind of you have to be sort of a visionary Mm -hmm. um, to be able to be successful around here. And so you kind of have to keep your keep your ear to the ground, figure out what's trending. And I just one day uh, looked on the counter and. it's something that my girlfriend at the time had was ordering, which was a, a birch box, and uh, kind of started digging into that. And that that was just like a, a ten dollar a month makeup subscription. That's right. Um, pretty pretty much just full of samples. Pretty, I, I think it was a hundred percent female demographic, right? Sure. Or, or something relatively close. And 
you know, that is really what sparked the idea where I was like, I want to, I wonder if there's something out there like this for guys that are interested in, in, in things like myself, which was like knives and outdoor gear and stuff like that. And that's really where, um, I sat down and, uh, because like graphic, because of varsity and graphic design was like second nature for sure. me. So I sat down, hammered out a logo for BattleBox, uh, made sure the domain was available first, and uh, and that was kind of there was a whole page the the first day that I started. You know, trying to, trying to figure out what the what the name of this company was going to be because I had the idea and a vision, but of course you have to have the .dot com to that's match right. right. So that's really honestly where the E got dropped. BattleBox uh-huh. without the E it was like BattleBox.com was taken. Battlebox minus the E was not. Uh-huh. It just you know, it rolled off the tongue. It seemed seemed like super brandable, um, you know, easy to remember, and most importantly for me, like I always start a business with the branding. Like yeah. I, I cannot get past that part alone. Like that's the most important part. Um, so once I kind of settled on that, made the logo, and started fleshing out um, the four different tiers for the subscription box or whatever, I built out the website. Uh, Never, never really did that before, but yep. just kind of figured it out. Um, it's not, I mean, again, the internet is like an amazing tool if you, you know, use it. Like, if you don't know how to do something, watch a tutorial, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you can do anything you want to. Love that. Um, it was, uh, by modern day terms, it was probably pretty laughable. But, but in 10 days, uh, from concept to hit and go live, uh, I built that website, turned it on. And in 10 days, it was live, and, uh, and you know, I started promoting it. I mean, I went on, like, forums and, you know, Facebook, of course, and, and things like that, and just were, you know, I was trying to reach as many people with this internet tool, right, yeah. like, to, um, to get people to buy. And sure, sure enough, like, I'm looking at the, the orders coming in, and they were flying, flying in. I'm like, what is going on here? You know, I must be on something. And so within the first two weeks— um, we were already shipping all 50 states, and then by week three, we had, like, our first international order or whatever. But I had only used – look, dude, I mean, this is the same – the same Amex card that I used mm-hmm. back then is what I started the company with with probably, I'd say, less than $2,000 worth of um, the first box contents was put on that card. Yeah. Right? And uh, I was for in a fortunate position where I was able to kind of make – the boxes sure. uh, look good and professional because yeah, okay. I printed them in the back of the screen print shop, <laughs> okay. right? So I did kind of have a leg up in terms of that. Not that I needed to, but it made it. I was able to make it look like this company was uh, had, had existed and, sure. and, and had been around and was professional instead of just slapping a, a label on a box. Where presentation is very important, right? And I know that you know that because I eat it so yummy all the time. I appreciate that. Thank you so <laughs> right? much. Right? And yeah. I mean, it was just there two days ago. You Thank know? you. So Thank uh, you. it's always. Uh, fascinating to me and, I, and you I've never met before today but, uh-huh. I, but I, again like you said I was like I know this Adam Singh guy and I feel like him <laughs> and I would get along right because I, I, I can tell what's important to you mm-hmm. and um, and things like that but so that same uh, so I o- only ordered enough I think for the first hundred boxes or something like that but you must have blown through that inventory like oh yeah well those orders came through and I sort of panicked right and I like okay. turned the website off Oh, you, you did? Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I was like, this is, I don't I don't know how to handle this, sure. right? So I, I turned it off and went to bed one night and woke up the next morning. I was like, what am I doing? Like, I'll just figure it out and, and, and turn it back on. And, and that's exactly what we did from then on. And I, and I definitely brought some partners in that were, 
I understood at that point, like how, like the magnitude of this project that I had started. Sure. And I knew I wasn't going to be the only person. I, I couldn't do it alone, you mm-hmm. know. And so I brought in some uh, some very good strategic partners. Um, one of which I was already business partners with at Varsity Inc. Mm-hmm. And I called him. His name Patrick. <clears throat> We've been like best friends ever since college. Or whatever. I called Patrick. And I'm like, dude. We're going to have to sell all this other stuff because you know? <laughs> we were just kind of messing around with, you know, like a, I don't know. We had like a bounce house business in Middlefield uh-huh. that was like sort of fledgling, you know, yeah. it was the only one and it was okay. But again, you know, all of this stuff sort of added up to a decent income, sure. but not a great income, you know? And so. How, how'd you know? Right. So like for me, like I'm, I'm very much like hold on to multiple different projects and manage the multiple different projects. Yeah. But it seemed as if like you, you had like you know, dug into the, the ground and then water started to like, just yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that was it. You yeah. know, I mean, you just, you know, when you know, right. Yeah. And it was like, but I did, I, I called him. We had like a, we were buying back um, college textbooks, mm-hmm. you know, ever since they, <laughs> the they, they were doing that way, way back in the day. And uh, I somehow ended up like involved in that in some capacity. And so, you know, I was, I was excited. Um, the growth of the company, like was happening rather rapidly. Sure. And so that's when I called him, like, dude, I need your help, you know, and I gave him, I think, if I remember correctly, like 20% of the business, no sure. investment needed, sure. didn't, didn't want him to. I was like, I, I need your help. Yeah. And so that's why we, he lived in Milledgeville. You know, we had a varsity in Milledgeville too at that okay. point. So, uh, so we had a warehouse that we were able to utilize and I was like, we're going to have to, we're going to have to like one by one, get rid of all this other stuff that's it's time consuming, yeah. you know, and, uh, and I literally was like, dude, all I need you to do is make sure these things ship on time every mm-hmm. month. And he was like, done. Yeah. And so brought him on and uh, and then another guy uh, to do uh, kind of the the project management, like because uh, I'm I guess my role was pretty much like the visionary. I would do product development. I would, you know, find the products that were going to go in the box mm-hmm. Um and, and kind of issue those POs and stuff like that. We kind of the, the, the front office work, I sure. would say. And uh, and and John that I brought on board, he, he would kind of manage all of the tasks that needed to be done. Mm-hmm. If there was some updating to the website that needed to be done. There was a huge project that we did that took like a year and a half, which was migrating from one platform over to Shopify, which yeah. is you know, when you have so much customer data and credit card information and, and order information or whatever, that making that migration seamless was a huge task that sure. I could talk about for forever, right? But because uh, we didn't want to lose customers. Yeah. Um, and if you do that by canceling them and having them subscribe to another, you yeah. know, you're going to lose like 80% of your customer base by doing that. So that was a, a huge task that he just freaking knocked it out of the park with. So, um, so anyhow, it's just uh, really important to surround yourself with the right people too. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you know, you're only as strong as your is your team really. Yeah. And um, talk talk to me about this visionary piece, right? Because I, I think for me, what's fascinating is you looked at this birch box, mm-hmm. and you didn't you you kind of like like did you kind of like pick it up? Did you open it up? Kind of like start exploring it? Were you like, hey, like what like not you know, really? What is this? Okay. Well, like the idea that that was full of you know for it, it was much smaller than than what I created. I mean, it was samples, just samples, you know, but, and this sounds silly to talk about today because it's just not really true. But in my mind at the time, I'm sitting there thinking, I knew they were one of the largest subscription boxes, you know, in the U S at least. And, um, at, 
I knew what it cost and I knew what was inside of it. That was really it. Yeah. And I knew that they were relatively large. So I just threw a number out there in my head, right? I was like, well, if they have a million subscribers and they're only profiting a dollar per subscriber, well, they're profiting a million dollars a month. Like that sounds, you know, because it's a, it's a volume sure. based business, right? You know, sure. you don't make any money if you sell a hundred, yeah. you know, but, um, but yeah, if you can get a million, like, that's pretty cool. You yeah. Know? And so that was really kind of like my layman's version of understanding, like, this is, this is something th- that this could be really, really huge if you tap into this, uh, into a specific niche and you can get people, uh, interested in it or whatever. So that was the, the drive that it took was like, well, how can we, how can we grow this? So, but I took a, a different approach. So they had that model that was full of samples that I guess uh, most uh, of their partners were, were giving, giving to them yeah, yeah, as, yeah, an, yeah. as a, you know, as an advertisement, yes, basically sponsorship exactly. advertisement. And so there was, there was like a symbiotic relationship, I guess, that they, they kind of had, um, which was different than what I, I wanted the products that we sent out in BattleBox to be, um, you know, full blown, like retail mm-hmm. type size items that yeah. you could actually use. And so um, it really started with this idea of uh, the Knife of the Month Club, okay. which was the, the largest tier. It was uh-huh. $150 a month at that point, $149.99. But because uh, I knew that that was kind of I, like I wasn't even my own customer. I'm like, I w- why would I sign up for a, a subscription for $150 a month? That's a mystery that I don't even know what I'm going to get. Right? Sure. Like, I couldn't even wrap, like that was too expensive for me even because I was like I'm kind of a cheapskate like uh-huh. I wouldn't I wouldn't spend 150 dollars a month <laughs> on a on a mystery subscription box or whatever uh-huh. so um but I created three tier levels lower than that too and they all kind of stacked right so uh, the bottom two weren't designed necessarily to be profitable they were just to be intro uh, to pull people in they were they would pull people in but they also kind of helped with the the scale of the orders, right? Mm-hmm. So like, even though, even if you weren't profitable on, you know, let's just say we had 5,000 customers that lived in the lower two tiers, basic and advanced box, they may not have been uh, profitable for us because like, I wasn't, they weren't designed to be, but they were um, important because it uh, got us to these much larger ordering numbers that would drive our costs down. Mm-hmm. Makes, that sense. makes sense. Makes sense. So, for the first couple of years, the idea wasn't to um, be profitable on those. It was really just to kind of keep competition at bay, uh-huh. <laughs> because they I, we, they wouldn't be able to compete with us if we weren't if we were putting so much cool product in those lower tiers. And so, what was kind of unique was every everybody across the board on those four tiers got the same packing list. So there was almost like a, a FOMO, uh-huh. like they're getting the same packing list for the for the top tier levels, and they're going, "Dang man, I hate that I didn't." go a, a level higher this month I missed out on this tent gotcha. or this sleeping bag uh-huh. or this knife as an example or whatever so as opposed to breaking it down into well you Different got basic one. box uh-huh. this is all you got sure you got advanced box this is all you got so um so I don't know we kind of we kind of modified uh as we went as things were successful and things were not you know we marketing is really not that hard you know mm. you just kind of you, you throw a lot of darts at the wall yeah you know but you definitely have to put your uh put yourself in the shoes of the of the target customer and, and your demographic and uh, and and try to appeal to them. What is it that they? What is it that makes them click? Yeah. On purchase, like mm-hmm. that's the mindset. You get to close the door, sit down, and kind of get into that mindset when you start to to think about marketing to those people. You know? um, how important is your the previous organizations that you were a part of in in giving you the tools or the 
thought process to to be able to execute properly on BattleBox? Uh, well, you know, I mean, I guess it's you know being you know I kind of taught myself how to do graphic design, right? Okay. Um, I had some basic courses, I guess, in college. You know, but would you mean, go to school for? Uh, well, so art marketing was a art degree marketing? that I was uh, one of a, a handful of people uh, at Georgia College and State University in Millersville okay. that was able to get before they uh, – I was grandfathered into that program I okay. guess, before they got rid of it. And uh-huh. so, um, so I was able to kind of have a couple art courses like uh, that taught me like basic intro to Adobe, mm-hmm. you know, programs like Illustrator and Photoshop. But, you know, that's a very institutionalized – version of learning how to do things sure so sure. they don't teach you how to be an entrepreneur they sure. teach you like you how know, to be an employee yeah well yeah really kind of you're that's exactly what, I think, right i think that's what yeah. school is right they, yeah they, it really kind of like teaches people how to you know go to work and then do do a single function do what you're told to do exactly yeah and 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 do it you know when you're talking about these programs or whatever like here's how you use these tools you know yeah. and, and so that's what i mean by institutionalized it's not like you know, I remember a course saying, okay, this is what we're going to do today. I want you to do it just like this. It was like, watch teacher, copy teacher, you know. But And even though I was in, the, like, a lot of those classes I was in was in the art department, you know, you would think that creative freedom would be, you know, their goal. You yeah. Know? But it was still very, you know, do it do it this way. Yeah. It took me many years, actually, to get out of that program because yeah. I didn't. Yeah. You didn't they, conform? I, I wouldn't, man. They, <laughs> they wanted me to, you know, have this senior show to get yeah. out. And we just couldn't see eye to eye on that. They wanted me to, you know, to have this. Uh, they wanted me to create something the way that they wanted me to do it, mm-hmm. you know. And they were like, well, you have to uh, you have to do it like this and, and present it to us. And, and they had to approve it or whatever. And, and you know, you got to think about like most most art schools. I don't know. You've been to a uh, to an art show, right? Yeah, I have. And they, uh, you know, you go in and there's a lot of stuff on the wall, and you listen to the artist kind of kind of BS his way through why he created this stuff, right? Uh-huh. And and that's exactly they're they're bullshit artists, man. Uh. You know, because uh, yeah, it looks cool, and that's what I could. That's what I couldn't get them to understand it's like dude i don't have a reason why i made this sure i just made it because at the time i thought it looked cool yeah and i think they wanted me to dig deep and be like yeah. well, you know this brush stroke you know was <laughs> was made because uh you know i remember when the i was 10 years old and <laughs> and you know uh you know daddy told me to go outside and grab a switch and you know something like way more emotional than it, than it really was uh-huh. it's like dude it just looks cool yeah and they couldn't wrap their head around that i just i wasn't I just wasn't that deep. I was yeah. making like ceramic pottery, basically, just uh, to kind of get through the program. Uh-huh. And and, uh, and they wanted something that I wasn't able to provide for them. So mm-hmm. I did actually kind of, to get out of there, I did kind of actually have to conform to some degree. And, yeah. and they liked my idea, and I was able to throw it on the wall and, and make up a bunch of BS, and I got out of there, <laughs> yeah. right? But, um, but I just wasn't, I, I wasn't the typical you know, art student, I guess. But what I did like about the program was the market, the marketing courses. Um, you you were, ate that side of it up. Yeah, well, I mean, they were super easy. I yeah. mean, it, it's really just, we talked earlier about common sense, you yeah. know. You, you don't, it's not rocket, marketing is not rocket science, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you So those courses were, were super easy to me, and I really enjoyed those. So I got to kind of got the best of both worlds, like the, to be creative, uh, with the art stuff while I was in school, and then with the with the business side of things, with marketing, or whatever. So it's a really unique program that I was able to. I, I don't know how much it, you know, in hindsight, it, it 
lent towards my, my future career, but it definitely um, learning those couple aspects of Adobe Illustrator as an example. Um, I would, I'll tell you, you know what, working in a, in a screen print company in college for two years is what I think gave me the tools mm. to start that company. So like when I knew that some uh, equipment went up for sale back in 2006 or whatever, 2007, um, I was like, dude, I can, I can do this with my eyes closed. I ran yeah. a screen print company in college, you know? And so the experience is what I think actually gave me the, the tools, you know? And so then taking all that knowledge from creating graphics, uh, for that and creating the logo for BattleBox, And then what I became really, really good at was creating new products, uh, and the packaging and the design. And so I was constantly on the phone, uh, I, I say on the phone, on the internet, all night long till four or five o'clock in the morning with with China, with mm-hmm. our with our manufacturing partners, because we grew so large, like nobody had the the stuff just sitting on the shelf waiting on Daniel to to call. You know, like we had to go to the source, to the source, right? And so if um, if I didn't do it, the the people that we would call would do it. Gerber, mm. as an example, yeah, you know, but, you know, very well known like knife company. I mean, they make their stuff overseas. So sure. if I pick up the phone and call them, they're picking up the phone and calling China. And so I was able to kind of sh- shave a bunch of uh, costs cost by going direct to manufacture a lot of things and just create a lot of uh, really our own our own brands yeah. internally. Um, the customer never really knew the difference, but because sure. I made the packaging retail ready. So all these tents and I mean, yeah, what I found was we were um, – at first, what sounded like a really good idea to brand things with the BattleBox logo because it, it it had created such waves in the subscription box industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, you know, yeah, we can put our own logo on things, or whatever. But the the customers, it wasn't received really well. Like, uh. I think they thought that we, they were getting hoodwinked or something. Oh. And so, um, so I just kind of I, I, I took that logo off and just started creating others. Uh-huh. And suddenly, it's the greatest thing ever. It, it's all perception, man. Perception of value. That's know? so fa- fascinating. Like that, the fact that like if you started taking the actual battle box, they think that you're kind of like giving them like inferior product. Yeah, it's it's it, it seemed like. I guess they didn't like the idea of thinking that we were like making money off of them. Yeah. Or you know, <laughs> it's kind of funny, really, right? But it was like BattleBox, what I learned in doing that and why we pivoted was like BattleBox was a uh, subscription box company. Yeah. And it, and it was going to be a subscription box company no matter how cool the products were that I created under that label. But so as soon as I struck, struck that out and put something different on it, I mean, there's a ton of, of, of companies that I came up with out of the blue. Yeah. Um, like, uh, Lord and Field and Cali Loha and, um, you know, Warpath Knives and just a, a, a slew of, you know, different brands that once we shipped in the, to the customer, just because it didn't say BattleBox, had a different logo, different packaging. Ate it up. It got, you know, you know glowing reviews by wow. everybody. So it's, uh, it's kind of fascinating. But that's how easy it is to pivot, too. Like when something's not working and you see that it's not, dude, just change it. You know, just, you just change it just that quick. And, and, it, and it made all the difference in the world. Yeah. You know. So, you know, going back to the story, um, you start growing, you pull on key individuals to kind of like help you build this uh, company. Mm-hmm. What happens next? Are you, are you kind of like just like, like what, what do sales look like? What, what is like percentage of growth? Like what, what does that look like in the first like, you know, one or two years? Yeah. So um, going from memory now, so we, I think that first year we probably did – 
I don't know, three or four million in that first year. First year. First year. Three yeah. to four million. Yeah, something crazy like that. Yeah. So in two thousand that would have been two thousand fifteen. So I started the company. I remember I still got all the all the original stuff. So it was like January thirty first, I think, of two thousand fifteen. Uh because I can go back like in GoDaddy and see like when I bought the domain name. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of cool, you know, when you see yeah. this stuff. And uh, especially when it had that much success, because you go back to the beginning, and you're like, wow, what, what were we doing? You know, and like I was talking about, our website was super janky, right? Like, <laughs> but it worked. And, yeah. and we, so there were so many modifications of that at the time uh, over the years. So um, what was going through your mind at that point? Like when, when you were like, you know, taking a step back and looking at like just this crazy how how fast everything uh everything happened because these are these are figures that we've never dealt with before, yeah you know so we made a ton of financial mistakes along, mm. along the way you know because we didn't know what we were doing really you know like we had to figure it all out we're just a bunch of old you know college buddies that you know are, are doing something really cool all of a sudden but uh one thing that i didn't mention was i just uh one of one of the key ingredients there, not just my key executive members, my executive team, uh, as well as the employees, the guys in the back, and you know, that were uh, kind of college students packing the boxes. Everybody's important, you Mm -hmm. know, like nobody, there is a hierarchy, but again, you know, like one doesn't exist without the the other, right? That's right. um, So, you know, we were building this really cool brand and a guy reached out, his name's Brandon Curran, and uh, guy had reached out and he was starting his own YouTube channel mm. and uh, he wanted to do some unboxings and stuff like that. And um, so he was one of the many comped boxes that we would send out every month. And uh, and his channel started to grow because he's just got this stellar, you know, online personality. personality. Yeah, he's like great. when the camera comes on, you know, he's got those funny redneck one-liners <laughs> that everybody, everybody loves. And so uh, so for many years, his channel was growing and, he, and, and I basically brought him on uh, – you know, we, we attached ourselves to his videos. His uh-huh. videos were the ones that we were publishing on our own website. And um, Was he a, like a buddy or what, how did he kind of like get involved? He, we, you know, I, I like to build relationships with people. Sure. I talk, as if you can't tell, I talk way too much. <laughs> no, you know, no, so, no, no. So, you know, him and I got on the phone and we were, you know, we were passionate about what we were, what what I was selling, what he was receiving. We were talking about how cool it was. It's just like two, two dudes that uh-huh. just like, you know, couldn't get enough about talking about all this stuff. And, and it was also exciting because of the growth or whatever. So the passion for the product was one thing, but, you know, the success of it was, I don't know, it just came. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think maybe maybe it was portrayed through his types of videos and his excitement. And, you know, it came through with the quality of the product that we, sure. were, that we were sending out to. And so, um, but that was like a huge portion of it. It's like we, we I... For one, I can speak for myself. Like I was extremely passionate about what it was we were doing. Um, I didn't take time to like sit back and go, "Well, is there another company out there like this? Like, what do I have to do?" I just started building. Yeah, which is kind of a a, a problem for me now because now I have like this um, this need to be uh, like this uh, like OCD of perfection, right? Mm. Whereas like I, I, all these other companies, I want to build. You know, I don't. You feel I, the I don't just throw out there now. Yeah, I think so. Like the pressure for it to be like equally as successful, oh, but it also kind of hinders like the the ability to move forward. I didn't have that with BattleBox I, I in the beginning. I just launched it, and I yeah. didn't care whether there was a competitor out there or something. You know. Yeah. So that's kind of a problem. I, I need to, and I recognize that, so I try not to be 
you know, let that hinder me from starting something. What advice would you have for people that like, you know, that look at, you know, entrepreneurship that want to be an entrepreneur, right? Like, I, I think your story is very inspiring because there's oftentimes so much um, excuses that are made. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know how to design or, oh, I don't know how to uh, do the website or, you know, all these different factors, right? But for you, you saw that as kind of like just something to kind of like work through mm-hmm. to get to that next point. But what advice would you give, you know, somebody that's maybe just starting out that wants to step into that field? Well, I mean, you know, going back to what we were just talking about, like you you have to be passionate about what it is that you're Mm. wanting to do first, right? Like otherwise, you know, if your customers, I mean, it comes across whether you like it or you you don't. Like if if you're passionate about something, it comes across like the finished product looks better. You know, the way you talk about the company, your excitement level, all that stuff is is directly related to, I think, the success of a company. And, and by the way, you know, success is, you know, my definition of success is probably not the same as yours, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, well, I could go on, on talking about that in and, of it, uh, in and of itself, right? But, you know, so what is it that you're wanting to achieve? You know, uh, are you passionate about what it is that you're doing? Don't just do it because, like I was talking about kids, they just, well, I just want to be a YouTube star. Well, it's monetary driven. That's all they see is they, sure. they know that these people, like, you know, Mr. Beast, you know, yeah. I, you hear all this stuff. I don't, I've never even watched a video of his, but uh-huh. I know that kids talk about it because they know he's, he's uber loaded or something. Yeah. I guess like YouTube throws money at this guy or whatever. So, you know, but that shouldn't be your drive and, and, um, do something that you love first. And you know, you've always heard the old adage, right? Like, yeah. You know, it's not, you know, if you do something you love and you never work a day in your yes, life kind of thing. Yes. Right. And it, but that's, that's really true. Like it wasn't, it really wasn't work. Um, we, we, I know that I loved going going to work, and, and um, but then because of its growth, there was a transition period <laughs> because then it became work because yeah. somebody had to do it. Yeah. It, it, so it got it got really big really fast. Yeah. You know how but, how long before that happened? Uh it was it was several years I think you know, but it um, it just kind of got overwhelming I think a little bit you know because you know I was cranking up all these other other businesses. So BattleBox was. The first subscription box, uh, followed by barbecue box. Um, oh, so you started launching other kind other of subscriptions? Yeah, yeah. I realized the the power in this um, recurring revenue model, and um, you know, given the opportunity, you know, when somebody's trying to figure out how to increase sales, or whatever, that's usually the first thing I tell them is like, dude, figure out how to turn your business into a recurring revenue. You mm-hmm. know. Because once you've got that card and you're just processing it every month, you yeah. know, it, even better than the recurring revenue is one that's not uh, necessarily a physical product that you're sending to somebody, but just like a service. That's right. You know? That's right. Because your cost of goods is much lower, <laughs> like right. almost non-existent, right? You know, that's Some right. people have a service where they just send an email sure. for X amount of dollars a month. That's Those right. are fabulous, uh, you know, just ways to, you know, really just to make, to make money. That's and then right. you can do it, you know. But um, so you have we battle had box. battle box barbecue, barbecue box. box. There was one that uh, that I that I bought somewhere along the line called called Crate Club. We have one called Carnivore Club, wow. which was a, a charcuterie Meat. subscription. Uh-huh. You know, and so like they just kept going and going. And uh, I started a company called Grenade Soap, which wow. was kind of like a men's 
what I call the men's tactical toiletry company or whatever. I mean, whatever even that means, right? Sure, like, sure. Like, but these ideas sort of stemmed out of a need for products to, to, to fill in BattleBox originally or whatever, and they just kept going. And so I was addicted really to like starting companies and, and trying to build successful brands, which I love doing. But uh, but I was just doing too much of it, and I kind of reached this point where I was like working 120 hours a week, and um, and you know just needed needed to do something different. And I realized I was I, I kind of woke up one day, you know, honing in on 40 years old, and realized that what I had done was sacrificed, you know, having like you know normal long term like relationships with people for uh, for working a lot like a lot a lot you know mm-hmm. and so uh that's where all this gray hair i think came from right so but uh you know so yeah it was several years um so going back like i brought brandon curran um on board and he lived in north carolina we moved him down uh he he now lives in portal uh, a couple not even a mile i think from from my house and kind of made him the face of the company uh-huh. and um you know somewhere along the way because of the growth and because of our, our recognition in in the subscription box industry as a whole, I think uh, we were we were making waves, I guess, because we were doing things way differently than everybody else. Um, you know, we had, I mean, a hundred and fifty dollar a month subscription. You know, at that at the volume that we were doing was kind of unheard of. How many subscribers did you have at that level? Uh, you know, back then I think we were probably somewhere in twelve, like. In, it, it, it ebbed and flowed, of course, probably 12,000, 15,000, somewhere in there, um, which isn't, you know, which isn't as Is much, I think, as people expect it to be because, uh-huh. uh, you know, you, people talk to me and they're like, yeah, you know, you, you guys must have 50,000 subscribers or whatever. It's like, no, you, I, I, well, I, mean, the, I wish with, we did, but it's... You with know. this, you don't need that many, right? Like, the thing, the right. thing about it is, like, you know, it, as long as you have, because that's reoccurring revenue every single month. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, with with, I'd say, kind of in our sweet spot, you know, of twelve thousand to fourteen thousand subscribers. I mean, we were, we were doing probably twenty one million dollars a year mm. is what we what we grew to. So when you ask like the percentages, I mean, yeah, it started at three to four, and then it went to ten, then it went to fifteen, and it just kind of kind of kept going. But I knew that there'd be a cap on it, right? Like you couldn't. So the so the competitors because of the success of BattleBox obviously competitors were coming out of the woodwork and and a lot of those people uh, came out swinging and just dumped a ton of money into Facebook advertising and marketing and this that, and the other but they also disappeared rather quickly because they they it, it's not scalable at that sure. rate you can't just I mean what what ends up happening is you end up buying you know basically promotional product items like to to fill the boxes sure with. you know nobody wants to get a hat with your logo on it, you know, three times in a row. That's right. Right. Or, That's right. Or you know, pins or koozies. Quality. Like that. That wasn't what our mission was with with the box. So, um, so we saw these competitors kind of come and go because they just they were either too small mm-hmm. or too big, and we kind of understood that like we we need to scale that growth and control it, controlled yeah. scale growth, right? Because yeah, we could have turned it on and and cranked the volume up in terms of Facebook advertise if we wanted to i mean we had to figure that out you know anyway somewhere along the line i mean when we started when i started BattleBox, i think we were onboarding customers or converting them as we call them you know uh at a rate of like nine dollars per conversion and by the time i left the company i think we were paying closer to 90 
dollars per conversion. So but is that just because it's become more competitive and more like? Yeah. I mean, that's just the natural way, right? Like when when advertising first starts, it's relatively affordable. Then everybody realizes that that's the opportunity. Yeah. Everybody jumps in, and then it just becomes. Yeah, I mean, sort of. You know, Facebook advertising at that time. I mean, I went. I hate to say it was kind of in its infancy. It mm -hmm. at least was for us. You sure. know, at $9 per conversion, that's, that's, that's great. great. But at 90 you kind of start thinking about how important that uh, subscription model is because <laughs> you got you got to keep those guys around for 9 to 12 months before you're profitable. Yeah. I mean, because the profit margins were not designed to be typical 50% uh, margins in, yeah. in the subscription box business, right? Yeah. And so you want to keep them around longer than just one month. That's you, right. You, you want to, you know, trying to explain that to people – uh, you know, because eventually the company was was bought, and I sold it uh, back in like October 2021. And the new company that bought it was a um, was a Canadian company that was publicly traded. And I talked many many times with the with the CEO of that company emerged, and I was like, dude, you know, these guys are just numbers guys. You know, yeah. They don't really care so much about the business itself. They care sure. about dollars sure, you know, sure. and so i kept telling like this is not a 50 percent margin type business whatever you don't do you want to make just using an example like do you want to make a hundred dollars one time or do you want to make thirty dollars 24 times mm. which one would you rather have yeah i mean that's no-brainer it, it is a no-brainer yeah. but you can't really get these guys that are looking at you know sheets yeah to to understand that i think sometimes because they've got other people to answer to or whatever. That's right. And uh, I think that was probably not the best purchase of theirs, but, it, mm. <laughs> but that's okay. You know, they can do whatever they want at that point. That's a nice exit for you, though. Yeah, I mean, that was all, you know, honestly, the goal um, was to kind of build it to its uh, maximum potential and then sort of uh, get off while the getting's good. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm just, I'm not the type of guy that's going to go down with the ship. Not saying it ever would, but you sure. know, you, you want to get to the the maximum and then get off and, and then do something else. That's and right. so I was very fortunate to to be able to do that. Again, I, that only came from the surrounding team that I had that was able to kind of, I said, dude, we made a lot of, you know, mistakes, you know, in, in business. A lot of them actually financial. Like, mm. dude, we were d doing with a a lot of money that we did never dealt with before on that scale. Um, so we really kind of had to figure that out and sort of train ourselves. And and uh, fortunately, we were able to overcome a lot of uh, maybe bad business decisions, mm. you know, um, that would probably be, you know, a whole nother podcast, right? <laughs> Honestly, but, you know, we're just talking about like from an introductory standpoint yeah. here is, you know, we, we, we didn't do everything right, but that's okay, you know, as long as you're able to kind of recognize. I mean, nothing's perfect. There's no formula for like, I, th I think everybody's like, well, what is, you know, what, how do you, what's the formula for success? Like, there isn't one. Sure. You know, they're really, <laughs> you know, every business is different. You know, every, every opportunity is different. Every partnership is different. Like, there's no, there's no actual formula. Mm -hmm. You just have to figure out what works for you, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. When you, when you, uh, you know, stepped into this business, I I'm sure the industry was very fresh, right? Because no one had, you were definitely an innovator, right? Like to, to kind of like step into that because yeah. there's no one else that had a men's subscription at that point. Is that correct? I, I think that there were probably other men's <clears throat> subscriptions. What's, what's more fascinating to me is that we were able to be as successful as we were <clears throat> with that particular company, BattleBots, because it was just, you know, in its, in its beginning, it was survival and tactical gear. Yeah. And I kind of had to change that tagline um, 
because of the way that we were not able to market, tactical became like this bad word in in social media land. (laughs) And so, you know, I pivoted from that and we turned it into survival and outdoor gear, which opened it up into just like a whole nother genre of types of products that we were able to put mm-hmm. in the box. And it was like a huge game changer, I think, for for the business. But but even still, like being largely like a survival gear subscription box, in the grand scheme of things, is a pretty small niche. Sure. And so um, that that I think is what was the most fascinating. I think what what people try to wrap their head around was just like, well, how are you know how many people are into this kind of stuff? Sure. And but what was great about it was that it stood the test of time when yeah. it came to you know, you have like every couple of years you're dealing with, you know, some political issue and and, and sales <laughs> kind of go up and then COVID happened oh, that's so and, and, and sales went up or whatever. So while everybody else was sort of struggling through these times, we in that particular industry, for whatever reason, we were fortunate enough to be in it because we would excel in those, yeah. in those uh, times, you know. Uh, so what is your view on luck? Is luck an important part of business? I don't know that it's luck necessarily. Mm. I mean, I think kind of understanding that there's you know, like striking while iron's hot. Like you sure. said, like we, you know, I noticed a trend in this subscription model and um, I kind of was able to crank that up and get started relatively quickly. And mm-hmm. then shortly after that is what I call the, the subscription box boom of like 2017. And um, you, you saw so many come out at that point. It was like, it was silly, right? It was like everybody was coming out with a subscription that was like, let's get a box of wood. Like, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm being facetious, but it was like every everybody thought they had this grand idea of like what the next best subscription was going to be because the barrier to entry was not – I mean, the reason why I was able to do it so quickly was because the barrier of entry was not that difficult. Like sure. You just – you know, buy a domain, crank up a website. There's a million different, you know, website development companies that make it super easy, you know, template-based, drop, 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 fill in some some ad copy here, right? So, um, but I, it, that was pretty detrimental, I think, to our business because those, all of these kind of fly-by-night companies were advertising to the masses, all, you just call them U.S. citizens, right? And, um and then when they were doing kind of a piss poor job of it, they put a sour taste in the mm. consumers' mouths of uh, of the subscription box industry. So we kind of had to overcome that. I think that's also where that increase in in, in ad spend came from. Yeah, you know, it was cause because everybody, everybody was flooding. You know, particularly Facebook. I'm not saying that was our only source of ad revenue. I mean, um, our source of uh, you know where marketing, I should say. But because um, we we went into everything that we could from starting with affiliate marketing programs from beginning to to YouTube to Twitter, which I don't even use, to to TikTok, which I also don't even use. But uh-huh. like these these um, uh, these social media pages of ours just continue to grow, and grow and grow. I think our TikTok now has I don't know, like maybe a million followers mm. or something. I don't. Know, last time I looked, it was honing in on it anyway. So you know. But that's because Brandon's so good at what he does yeah. with the with the content and stuff like that. So I made him, uh, you know, the face of the company and somewhere along the line, uh, because of him being so, uh, because we were put, publishing so much content because he's so likable or whatever. Somebody had reached out and uh, and asked if we wanted to have a, you know, if we were interested in something related to like a TV show or whatever. And we kind of seen some of these things come through email that I just. It kind of looked like spam a little bit, right? Sure. Especially because there's this one guy, Kevin. Uh, 
can't remember his name. He was one of the original Shark Tank guys. Uh huh. Kevin O'Leary. Not O'Leary. Okay. No, he was on like season one or two, and uh-huh. one or two, and then he's not on that anymore. But he sort of exploits that uh-huh. that um, that his short Authority. tenure there, uh-huh. yeah, to 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 market to people. And he's like, yeah, you know, one of the original Shark Tank guys. So you you see this come across your inbox, and you, you get on a couple calls with him, and ultimately it's like another money making scheme for yeah. him. It's like we're gonna film some stuff for you. I think his whole thing is like as seen on TV, right? Yeah. Whatever, and so. You know, things like that hit your inbox routinely and you just kind of become numb to a lot of maybe opportunities that come through. And so a couple of these things came through. And this one in particular, I kind of forwarded, I remember forwarding to to Brandon, I think, and being like, hey, man, you know, feel these people out, see if it is realistic or whatever. And uh, and after several conversations, he was like, yeah, they're going to, I think they want to come out and film a, a sizzle reel. I'm like, really? And so... Uh, we had just uh, sizzle reel, sizzle reel, yeah. To kind of it's like a pilot, s- sort of, yeah. Not not necessarily. It was because we didn't really have a a, a format of, yeah. of anything. It was just like a bunch of rednecks in poor old Georgia just like blowing stuff up and f- figuring out how, how, a way how to make a TV show out of this or whatever. But it was uh, so it came out. We we just spent a day just filming a bunch of crazy crazy stuff, and and it became in essence a pilot, right? Uh huh. Uh, effectively known as a sizzle reel that uh, this company, uh, High Noon Productions, is who it actually was, which was most well known for their uh, their biggest show was the Chip and Joanna Gaines show. Mm. That, um, I don't know uh, that one. The, it's the Farmhouse Show. Okay, I, call it. I don't know Magnolia, something or other Magnolia uh-huh. Home or something. But um, uh, Fixer Upper. Okay. Yeah, you you definitely heard of it. I always can't remember. I always think <laughs> Chip and Joanna Gaines, but that was their biggest series at the time and cake boss and a bunch of other things whatever okay. so so they had um some clout for us to for me to at least start listening to them so they came out filmed that and then they used that to kind of pitch it to i think originally it was like uh history channel was what actually wanted to to, to, to film that up. sizzle uh-huh. and so i think they actually paid for it they passed on it and then i think it went to discovery channel and you know we don't live in Alaska, so that wasn't going to work. That's <laughs> like the only thing that Discovery Channel films like. Like I think if you just go into Alaska, you fly in, and it just says Discovery Channel yeah. like, at the airport or something. Hey, that's my vision anyway. Like if you think about it, that's all they film up there. But um, and then uh, it kind of went. They went quiet for a little while. Nobody was really picking it up. And then they had a meeting uh, with Netflix and before. Before they even got out of the building, the uh, execs over at High Noon called us, super excited. They're like, "We're in the, we're in the elevator, headed down. We just had an awesome meeting with Netflix, oh, and uh, they love it. They want to, they want to start as soon as possible, kind of thing or whatever." So that was pretty exciting. So we, um, we were, I, I, I don't know, man. It all happened like I said. It all happened so fast. It was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. So I had just bought this property in Portal, and built us a, a shop to to work out of. That kind of gave us, gave me the. Uh, the ability to be creative. We didn't uh-huh. have to um, ask for permission to go out on somebody's land anymore and, like, you know, put up a tent for – I mean, we were generating were a lot sh- of content. Uh, yes. So we, we needed our own place to do that. Mm-hmm. And so with that, fir- that first 75 acres that I bought there or whatever, it also gave us – and the, the building that I just built, it gave us – it lent itself really well to having a TV series out yeah. there. So. Um, not that I was any good at it, but but we but we definitely we filmed. Uh, uh, they showed up and for like six months they practically moved in with me and yeah. we filmed enough for the first 
eight episodes of that that one and only season that we did but yeah. that, but that was fine it also kind of helped propel so COVID happened and our our business um you know kind of grew and then uh southern survival is what the the show was that came out and it actually was like in the top 10 for the first couple of weeks on netflix awesome. and that kind of propelled it a little bit more not in these like amazingly large numbers that you that i think people thought it was going to be i kept telling everybody you know all my friends like dude this is going to be huge yeah. you're going to be you're going to be like those uh duck dynasty guys <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know i don't think we're going to be anywhere near that entertaining of uh -huh. course we don't have a sigh you know uh -huh. Uncle si. but uh but you know brandon like i said when the when the camera comes on he just absolutely excels yeah. at that kind of stuff and you definitely don't turn down the opportunity i, I mean i'm not I want to be behind the camera, being creative, not necessarily uh -huh. in front of in front of the camera. But when the opportunity presents itself, and you you have the, I don't know how many countries Netflix actually. That's that's crazy. Uh, it's like 130 across the world. So or something do you like that. ship? Uh, did BattleBox ship across the entire world? So, uh, one of those pivotal things that I was talking about to you was that, um, you know, yeah, at first we we did have a. A decent size audience mm -hmm. uh, overseas, uh, but there was just something something that happened along the line that just made me feel very uncomfortable about it. Mainly because some of the products that we were sending, um, some people like to refer to as weapons. We never called them that. You know, we we call knives tools. Sure, you, know, you can't you can't build this building without a, a sharp blade, as sure. an example. But sure. that's a debate that we. A lot of times wouldn't win when it comes to like Facebook and stuff like that, which is a whole nother challenge, by the sure. way, um, with getting our ad accounts shut off constantly. Um, it was just the industry that we were in. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we never promoted anything as weapons we or, or use them as weapons by any means. But um, when I when I noticed like some of the addresses and names and things like that, that that, um, that were on these boxes that we were shipping things to, it, it made me feel very uncomfortable for like the, you know, being a patriot of America, I'm like, eh, we might be might be arming the wrong people with sure. some stuff. So it, it didn't make me feel good. Uh, so we pretty much just abandoned that, shut it That's off, and, and and shifted to uh, the fifty United States and Canada. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of left it at that. Got you. Um, and that was pretty good, I think. I think it was a good move, you know, That's for awesome. the company. And so yeah, we just uh, did a lot of a, a really cool. Like first for us, I mean, you know, we we continued to just um, try to do things different. I, I, every day I went to work, I, I kind of carried this this mantra that I made up that was like, basically, there's there's nothing that says you can't. You know, I think a lot of people's vision from like being a successful entrepreneur is like working in you know some. 20th story high rise in Buckhead or in Atlanta, <laughs> and, you know, wearing the suit and tie or whatever. That's just not our flavor. Yeah, dude, you know, and so. I built a place where I think it was super unique for my employees to come to work and, you know, if they were having a bad day, uh, you know, customer service was very important to us. So my buddy Steve, you know, he'd, he'd come in my office um, shaking his head, just getting hammered with customer service emails because our, our, our customers are so passionate about our product sure. they were shipping there. They were they were also kind of angry if it was like didn't, <laughs> didn't ship on time. You know, you're talking about some some pretty aggressive folks in our uh, in our industry there so um you know he would just get, get yeah, beat yeah. down i'm like dude you know i built this place where he was able to as an example go hop on a four-wheeler and go blow off some steam go back to the shooting mm -hmm. range and, and shoot a pistol hop in a kayak and you know float Relax, around the pond yeah. for a few minutes or whatever and i think that was uh that was 
I'm very proud to say that I was able to build a company that we were kind of able to do whatever we wanted to do without conforming to like what you know the normal business model would be. You know, yeah, does that make sense? It it's, does. It's just uh, it was unique. Yeah, and I want and I like that uniqueness about it. Like you don't have to wear suit pants to to work out here. You know, we're just a bunch of regular dudes. You know, wear what you want. Um, what's kind of on the horizon for you? Like, what's the future look like? Uh, well, I'm kind of in, in limbo at, at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm kind of finishing, finishing unfinished projects, like things that were kind of never completed, you know, around the house projects kind of thing. And, um, uh, kind of gotten into pickleball lately, you hey. know, so, uh, built, built a pickleball <laughs> court and, uh, you know, just, uh, building relationships with people, you know, I found, um, kind of after after many years, a, a, a long hiatus because of uh, maybe just not focusing my attention in the right areas, you know, kind of found my faith again. And um, mm. and that's just like uber important, way more important than, you know, Amen. dollar signs and success and all that good stuff. Um, but uh, so, so really just kind of honing in on more important things in life. And I feel very fortunate to have been able to uh, get to that point in my in my life to where I can take a you know, kind of look at myself from a from a thirty thousand foot view. You know, mm. and be like, dude, what are you doing? Mm. Where, where, where are you headed? You know, yes, you've done all these great things, but but what's next, kind of thing. And so I'm uh, I'm I'm looking forward. I probably probably if I had to guess, crank up another subscription box yeah. <laughs> or something in that capacity. Again, talking about the the idea of recurring revenue, I think is uh, is definitely what I'm good at sure. and, and marketing and. Um, or maybe in the in the immediate future, you know, maybe just doing some consulting with people that that need help in those areas. You know, I mean, for me, when it comes to marketing, I can look at something really, you know, relatively quickly and be like, "That's an absolute no, that horrible mm-hmm. idea. Don't do that." And, yeah. I, and maybe I wish, maybe there's a part of me that wishes that somebody had done that for me. You know, yeah. I see uh, around town sometimes. I see these things pop up that people have like invested their like life savings in or whatever. I'm like. Oh, that is not that is not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. like somebody should have told you this before you you go wasting a, a, a bunch of your money. Like everybody should have the same opportunity to do whatever it is they want. Some ideas just aren't that good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like you have to start with it. I mean, that's right. You have to start with a good idea and go from there. You that's know, right. and um, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking forward to to what's next. I'm not sure. Uh, some ideas, but nothing. Nothing really solid right now. I'm kind of kind of privy to a non-compete at the moment that, uh-huh. that kind of keeps me making sure that uh, I'm doing what doing my part contractually, and then and then we'll see what what happens from there. Daniel, I have to thank you for coming on to the show. You know, I think for me, what is the most inspirational about your story was the fact that you did you in terms of staying true to your path and not conforming to kind of like what everybody else expects of an entrepreneur and you built it your way. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And you had an impact on the entire United States and Canada from this small place in Statesboro, Georgia, right? Yeah. In, in, in this area, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that is oftentimes, you know, people think that, oh, I have to move in order to have an impact. I have to go to the big city. I have to, you know, go to all these various different places. But for you, your story is very much not 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 that case. You said, right. "Hey, I'm going to do me." Mm-hmm. And I'm because there is this phenomenal thing called the internet. Yeah. I'm going to allow this thing to kind of like grow. 
Yeah, and man. that's huge. Exactly. Yeah, the internet. Like I, I think I told you earlier, uh, maybe before the, the the microphones were even turned on, I call the internet the great equalizer. You know, nobody cares where you're from. You know, what color you are. You know, what kind of car you drive. As an example, like you can, you if you if you have the energy and the capacity to tap into that, and you and you have a good idea and you work hard at it, um, you can literally do anything you want. Absolutely. You know? That's a that's an awesome message. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thanks cool. for having me. All right, brother.